Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Kings, and welcome to you all from wherever you're tuning in from today. Hey, I am standing and preaching this word in Halifax. I'm standing right now in the venue that we use for our Sunday morning gatherings here. Uh, This is known as the Cedar Event Center. And it's this beautiful, beautiful event center in one of the more populated and popular neighborhoods in Halifax called Clayton Park. And uh, this building is actually attached to a church. And that church is called the Lebanese Maronite Church. And they minister to the Lebanese community here in Halifax. There's about 500 families that come to this church. It's crazy. And I just got to say, it has been a blessing to be able to gather here in Halifax on Sunday morning. It's been a blessing to have a partnership with this church. I know this past week, if you've been following us on social media, we issued a call to prayer as a church. I hope you saw that. Uh, But one of the things that we talked about online and we're calling our church to pray into in this season is strategic partnerships. We're praying for God's favor, uh, favor on his church and favor on the people and favor on King's Church. And I got to say, I know we were praying about that this week, but this has been a true answer to prayer to be in this space and to meet together as a campus and as a location here in Halifax. And so, hey, I, this, I'm just encouraging you, you today to, to join with us as we continue to press in and pray strategic and specific prayer points in this season. I'm excited today because we are in the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible, I'm going to get you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10, and we're looking at three verses today. Now, if you've been tracking with us here, uh, we have been in the book of Revelation now for over a year. And good news, last week we hit the halfway point. I know Pastor Brent, as he delivered that message, one of the things he said is that the halfway point is actually the most important point of this entire book. And so we're actually going to slow down for a few weeks and we're going to focus in on these next few chapters, chapters 10 and, and chapters 11, because this isn't just the halfway point of Revelation, this is actually the turning point. And what we're going to learn over the next few weeks is really God's heart for humanity, that God is wanting to redeem and save the world. And I know it doesn't feel like that, especially over the last few weeks. We've really talked about some really gnarly stuff. Like we've had a series of, of bowls and judgments and trumpets and demon locusts and all sorts of crazy stuff here. But this is all on purpose. This is all about getting our attention. And that's why God actually sends judgment in the book of, of Revelation, is to get the world's attention. But one of the things that we found out, one of the stunning things we've discovered is it doesn't seem to work. Remember at the end of Revelation chapter 9 last week? What does it say? It says that even though with all, the, all of these trumpets and all of these bowls and all of this stuff, the world does not repent. Here's something else we're learning right now too. Is that this whole thing is a setup. And it's a setup for the next few weeks. And what we're going to begin to see is we're going to begin, begin to see that, like God's real purpose to win the world unfold before us. And let me tell you something, it's not a cosmic playbook. God's not going to come along and say, hey, we're going to do this and do that. It's not a cosmic playbook. It's actually a Christ-like people that God is going to use to win the world back. And 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 the book of Revelation calls this the faithful witness. And this is really important to us because what we learned last week, what Pastor Brent told us last week, is that the faithful witness is the church. It's us. 
So it's really imperative for us to just slow down and we're going to focus in on these few chapters a little bit over the next little while. We're doing kind of a mini-series in the middle of the series. And this series is really going to focus on one question. Pastor Brent shared with us last week what this question would be. And I want to remind you of what it says. This is, this is what he said. He says, what does it look like for the church to bear witness to the Lamb in our day? Now, that is a really loaded statement. I mean, there's a lot of words here. Some of you, if you're just tuning in, you're probably asking the question, what is the lamb? What does it mean to bear witness? Does that mean we have to go to court? Do we have to go on trial? Um, Let me just kind of reframe this for us today. Uh, And I'm going to reframe this question this way and maybe help us bring some clarity to what this this other question really says. But this is really what John is going to be talking about. He's going to be building a picture uh, of this. What does it look like to be the type of people that God uses to win back his world? You ever, you ever think about what that might look like? Uh, you ever wonder what these people are like? I've been on this personal quest over the last years so. I've been reading a lot on revivalists and reformers and people who have done tremendous things throughout history, just faith giants. And I've been, as I've been reading them, I've been just like looking at their lives and saying, what, what makes these people tick? Like, what makes these people these type of people? Like, describe these, te- these people for me. And maybe even a better question to ask is, is this, can I be like one of these? And really, this is what John, the author of Revelation, is trying to convey here in the middle section. And what he's about to unfold for us here is a prophetic picture of the church. And it's, this, and it's the type of church that actually wins the world. And the reality is, is that probably over the next few weeks, one of the things that we're going to discover is that the church that John is describing here as the faithful witness might not match up to the church of today. And that's okay because... Really, the church that he describes here isn't the church of John's day. So this is going to be an image not of just of the church. This is actually an image for the church. This is going to be a tool to help us reshape and remold ourselves around being the people of God who are part of the mission of winning the world back. And we need this. We need this as a church. It's, it's interesting when you read the scriptures, how many times God actually recasts new pictures and new visions of the church. We see this in the Gospels. Remember Jesus when he talks about the church? He's with his disciples one day and he looks at Peter and he says, hey, I, you are the rock. You are a rock. What's he saying? He's saying the church is going to be like a rock and I'm going to build my church on you. I'm going to build my house on you. And then Peter, Peter in the book of 1 Peter describes the church this way. He talks about it like a building being built up and all of us, we are like living stones. Uh, John, the writer of Revelation, he writes a gospel. He talks about the church being like a light and and we actually need these pictures of the church. We need to be reminded ever so often of who we are. We need fresh revelation of the type of people God wants us to be. Amen? We need that and, and the reason we need that is because life happens. Pandemics happen. Drought happens. Persecution happens. There's pressure. John is writing to a church under immense pressure. There's pressure from without. There's trials and there's persecutions and there's devils. And we're going we're gonna to talk about a beast coming up against the church here in a couple weeks. But second, there's pressure from within. There's a, an identity crisis. There's a, there, there's a church that's struggling with their identity in Jesus and, and finding their place in the world. And I, I just got to be honest with you. Does that not sound familiar? 
Does that still not resonate with us today? And what John wants to do is he wants to give us a fresh vision of the church. And he calls the church a witness. And so we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. And I just want to say something as before we jump into this word today. I'm really excited about this. Like this message just really started to stir my heart. And, and, and John is not interested in giving a message to the church to just kind of get by in tough times. That's not what he's doing. This is not a surviving word. This is a thriving word. This is a now word. If you want to see a picture of what it means to be the type of church that makes history in history, then tune in for the next few weeks. Because buckle up, we're about to get a vision, we're about to get a picture of the type of church that God is wanting us to be so that he can win the world through us back. And the first characteristic I want to talk about today, and this is really the most obvious one, is this. A witness, first and foremost, is a creature of the word. That's our premise for today. This is going to be our driving thought. And I'm going to say it this way. We are creatures of the word. If we're going to be a faithful witness, we must be creatures of the word. The type of people that God uses to win back his world are word people. Let me say it this way. You see, before we win the world, the word has to win us as the church. We are word people. This is what we are. In fact, this is what the church has always been known for. Uh, back in John's day, there were other religions and lots of religions around. Polytheism and Roman gods and all this stuff that was going around. And all the other religions were all known for idol making and temple building. But the church was actually known for truth telling. That was what they were known for. Uh, back in, 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 in Jesus' day and back in, in John's day and back in, in the Bible times, words were often used for casting spells or prescribing incantations. They were, they were used to try to persuade or move the gods. It really was words were being used to manipulate or control to get. And does that not sound familiar today? We still use words to try to get what we want. You see, the faithful, the faithful witness uses words to give something. You see, the witness believes that God has said something and he transmits that message out to the world. He transmits love and compassion. You see, the witness gives a word. He doesn't use words to get. He uses words to give. We are word-centered people. We actually dare to claim to have a word from Almighty God to the world around us. That is what a witness is. And we're going to see what it means to be a creature of the word here in Revelation chapter 10. Now, I want, to, I want to read this scripture to you, but let me just kind of set the scene for you again about what is going on in this chapter. The chapter opens up of, of this mighty angel, this giant angel coming down from heaven, and the angel's holding this scroll. Um, he's holding this scroll and he comes down and there's this magnificent rainbow around him and he, and he comes down. The Bible says that he actually puts his feet in the ocean and on the land. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. That's very significant to today's message. But he comes down and John sees this and he, and he gets his notepad out and he goes to start writing this down. And the angel says, no, 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 don't write this. I don't want you to write this. 
I want you to do something else. And this is where we pick up in verse 9. It says this, So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. Take it and eat it. I have three points for you today, and they are all, uh, they're very important, and order matters today. Sequence actually matters. And here's my first point today. I want to I just, I, wanna, I just want you to get this. First and foremost, if you're going to be a creature of the word, a creature has to eat. A creature has to eat. This is all about receiving the word. This is about digesting the word. The, the angel says to, to John, take it and eat the word. What, he doesn't say take it and study it. He, he doesn't say take it and examine it. Uh, this is not like uh, dinner at the fancy household where my, my wife, she'll make this beautiful meal and she comes over and she gives our kids a meal. And my oldest daughter, every single night she does this, she will look down and she'll start like picking through her food and like start looking at it. And all of a sudden, you know, a couple minutes later, she'll look at us and say, I don't want this. I don't want to eat this. You know, your parents, you ever have that problem? And my response to her is like, hey, I don't care if you don't like it, you're eating it. Like, stop examining your food and start shoving that in your mouth because this is what you're eating tonight. This is what the Bible is trying to say. This is what it's trying to convey to us. If we're going to be creatures of the word, we've got to eat this book. We've got to eat the word. We've got to ingest it. We've got to get it inside of us. In fact, the Bible actually gives us a lot of different words that, that really kind of give us an image of eating. The word meditate. We find this in, in, in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1, it's where it talks about those who meditate on the Lord. The word meditate in Hebrew is the word haga. The word haga actually means to gnaw. It means to like chew on something. Think of a, think of a dog you give a dog a bone, what's, what's he do? He just sits there and he like chews on this thing and he gets all the best out of this bone. This is what it means to actually eat the word. And for some of us, this is, gonna call, this is, this is a call forward to shift the way we approach the word. That we're going to shift out of what we've been doing to a new way of, of, of approaching the word. And here's a few shifts I want to talk about briefly for you today. First and foremost... Uh, number one, this is a time that we stop compartmentalizing the word and we start metabolizing the word. Like, what do I mean by that? Like, let's just be real. For some of you, like, maybe the word that you get is only on a Sunday morning uh, on our feet. Or maybe you sit down and you read a little devotional on Monday. And you just, you, you, you take it and it's good. And I'm not saying this is wrong, uh, but you take it and you set it, you set it, you set it down. That's just my Bible time, Right? We need to stop actually compartmentalizing the word and actually start to metabolize the word. What do I mean by metabolize? Listen, your digestive system, like your actual digestive system, after you eat, never stops working. It continues to work even when you're not eating. It ruminates in you. It, can, it continues to move in you. And that's exactly how we ought to approach the word. Creatures have to eat. And so we shouldn't just compartmentalize. Let's metabolize. The second thing is don't just know it, taste it. Taste the word. Get it inside of you. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The third thing is, the third shift is this. Don't just learn it. Live it. Let it become a part of you. Let it, let it become a part of your life. Let, let it live through you. Let the word live through you. And then the fourth one is this. Uh, we ought to not let it influence us from the outside, 
but from the inside. Like, like the Word of God is not propaganda. That's not what it is. The Bible says it's alive and active. The Scripture says, the angel says to John, take it and eat it. He doesn't hold up this billboard and say, okay, uh, uh, you look at this and then, and then go transmit information. No, no. The witness does not give information. The witness speaks from his own heart. And this is so important for us to understand this and get this. Because when the church is on fire, one of the signs that the church is on fire is that it is digesting and ingesting the Word of God. And it's not just in their minds. It doesn't just get in their minds, church. Listen to me. It also gets into their bones. It doesn't, it, this isn't about passing information about God to other people. Like, a church on fire assimilates the word. They internalize it. Why? Because this is gospel we're talking about. Not gossip. Listen, God doesn't need a gossip. He needs a witness. A witness to the works and ways of Jesus the King in human hearts and in the unfolding of human history. Like, He needs people who are willing to see what God is doing on the earth with courage and to call it out. To actually say, hey, God is actually at work right here. He needs people who are willing to see what God is doing in them and have the courage to actually live it out. Listen, I spend my life, I spend my days talking to people all the time about the Word. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions and a lot of things to say about God. And it's all great. But I'm here to tell you today that the church will be rendered ineffective until we learn to eat the Word. Until we learn to ingest the Word. Until we get it into our hearts and into our beings. One of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, in his book, Eat This Book, which is a fitting title for today's message, he says this. He says, Christians don't simply learn or study or use the Word. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with Jesus. I just love that. I just love that because that just ratcheted up our, our desire, our hunger for the Word. And it ought to because if we're going to be a church on fire, we are, we are creatures of the Word. And guess what? Creatures got to eat. Creatures have to eat. My second point, though, is this. Creatures don't eat. Creatures also have to savor. They have to savor. They have to relish the word. Now, this is probably a really bad illustration, but have any of you ever watched like those National Geographic videos? Like my son, I've been watching with my son online. We've been watching some YouTube videos of National Geographic over in Africa and and I don't know how the camera guy gets out in the Sahara like, like he does, but he gets out there and he starts to film these lions like going after a wildebeest. And you guys know what I'm talking about. And like there's a few lions that come together and they, they triangulate and they come in and it shows like the action shot of them pouncing on this wildebeest. And then they like devour the thing once they catch it. Like they devour this beast. 
And, and I don't know why, but at the end, every time, every time that they devour this beast, you ever notice that lions don't dine and dash? They don't just eat the thing and then go. They actually like lay down and they, they're just kind of sitting there. And for, I don't know, I don't know if a lion knows where the camera is, but every single time it's like they make contact with the camera like, oh, yeah, we saw you were watching. And they look, look at you like they're like enjoying their meal and like lick their lips. Like that's what they're doing. Like they're savoring their meal. And this is what's going on in Revelation chapter 10. The angel says, hey, take and eat the book. But then look what it says. It says, so uh, take and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour. Ah, oh, that's not good. But in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. So he takes it. John takes it. He eats it. Verse 10, I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. And it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. He's savoring the word. He's getting it into him. Now, this is what is actually going on here. What does it mean that the word is sweet and sour? Well, this is what I believe this is trying to communicate. I believe it's sweet to us because one of the things we know about the word of God is that it's divine. It's a divine word. It's a word that has come from heaven. It's eternal. It's an eternal word, and there's something sweet about the word of God because it comes from God. In fact, earlier on in this chapter, the Bible says that the scroll or the word is in the angel's hand, and look where it comes from. It says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. It's this beautiful picture of not just this angel coming from heaven, but actually the word coming from heaven. And it's eternal, and it's, a, and it's appointed, and it's anointed. And not only that, it's good. The word of God is good. Uh, James talks about this in James chapter 1, verse 7. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And many of you can attest to this, can't you? That you've gotten into the word of God and you've begun to digest, and you've begun to like, like devour this thing, and you've, and you've come to realize, man, this is good. It's sweet. And you know this to be true. And I, I've seen this time and time again as a pastor. I've seen this in times of grief, how good the word is. I've been to funerals where people have never claimed to know Jesus or be a believer. And in those moments, people find the goodness of the word. And I think it's because it's a divine word. It's from God. It's from heaven. It's good and it's sweet. But the Bible says it's not just sweet. It's actually sour. It's a sour taste. Once it gets deeper, once it gets into you, it gets sour. And the reason for that, I believe, is it's not just a divine word. It's a dominating word. It's authoritative. Uh, verse 2 actually goes on to, to tell us this. It gives us a glimpse of this. And in, in verse 2 of chapter 10, it's talking about this angel. And not only just the angel. Understand, this is about the scroll as well. This is talking about the word. He says he was holding the little scr scroll, which lay open in his hand. And, and here he is. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now, what's going on here? What is this an image of? Well, back in, in Bible times, the idea of planting your foot onto ground or, or, or on a land was signifying, signified taking over. 
like taking over land. Think, think about it like as someone coming in, like it's like dominating. It's, it's like an army rolling in and saying, hey, this is our place. In fact, we see this in the book of Joshua. You remember the people of Israel, they've been in the desert and Joshua takes over for Moses and now he's ready to lead them into the promised land. They cross the Jordan River and God gives them a command. Listen closely to what God says to Joshua. Uh, we, we see it right here, verse 3 of Joshua chapter 1. God says this, he says, I will give you every place where you set your what? Your foot. Like, so when you stand there, that is a sign of, this is a sign of, of, of domination, of takeover. Like, I, this is authoritative action. In fact, the people of Israel really did this. I want to show you this photo. This is, I mean, we're going to geek out for just a moment here, but this is an archaeological picture. Uh, this is an archaeological picture. I don't know if you can see this very well of, of, of the Israeli camp. This has been dug up over centuries of being under the dirt, but they've dug this up and they found the place where Israel was camped outside of Jericho. And uh, this is in a place called Gilgal. And, and if, I don't know if you can see it. I'm not going to say anything, but I want you to, like, the, 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 there's this, like, there's this shape here that I want you to see. I want you to take a look at this. Take a moment. We're playing a little picture game here online today. But uh, I know if you can't see it, now let me, let me see if you can see that. <laughs> you see that? What does that look like? Anyone, anyone see that? Like that looks like a bona fide foot. Like the walls created this foot. They're, like they even created a toe. Like they were basically telling the people of Jericho and the people of, of Canaan, hey, we have arrived, make no mistake. Like, this, we are coming, and we are coming to take over. And so when you get this picture of this angel stepping on the ground, on the earth, the Bible says that he's stepping his feet in the sea, and his feet in the land. It is a picture of authority. It is a picture of domination. And this is exactly what the Word of God is like. And it lays claims. Listen, the Word of God does not just lay claims on one little piece of land. It's actually laying claims on all of creation. It lays claims on your agenda and on your life and on your marriage and your money. It dictates how you live. It dictates how you treat others. It actually lays claims on the powers at be in this world. I don't know who you voted for in the election. I don't know who you're going to vote for in the next election. It doesn't matter. If you're a conservative person or a liberal person, God in, God's word actually confronts both agendas. I was actually talking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago. We were uh, doing a soul day out at his cabin. One of the things we were, we were talking about is that there's, uh, both sides of the aisle think God is on their side. You ever notice that? Like they think God is on their side. And the reality is, is that the word of God, because it is authoritative, it actually confronts all agendas. And it calls for us to submit to him. And the reality is, is that people don't like this. Like, and I know you know this to be true, don't you? In fact, there's, there's probably many of you watching right now that like you came to the word and you found it to be sweet. And it would taste it good to you. And maybe you brought it home or you brought it to your friends and you realized that it, what was sweet to you was actually sour to them. They didn't like it. They didn't like what the Bible said. They didn't like what the, what the Bible claimed. And some of you have experienced this. You've experienced, you've experienced it maybe with your family. Maybe you've experienced it with your, your friends where the word has been sweet to you, but it hasn't been sweet to others. And it's created this, this conflict in your life. Listen, 
one of the realities we have to face if we're going to be a faithful witness, the church, we're going to have to, to be acquainted with conflict in our lives. You know, every great witness of the Bible had to deal with conflict. Moses had to deal with conflict. Elijah had to deal with conflict. John the Baptist had to deal with conflict. Even Jesus had to deal with conflict. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus even said this. He said, I've come to set man against his father. <laughs> I've actually, like, what I'm going to be and what I'm going to bring, though it's good and though it's kingdom, is actually going to set people apart. It's going to set man, uh, man against his father and daughter against his mother. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Like, he, he's aware. Why? Because the word is not just, it's not just good, it's, it's authoritative. It's, it's dominating. It, it, it's, 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 it's setting its foot on your heart and on our minds, and it's laying claims on all of us. But not only is it a dominating word, not only is it a, a, a word of authority, it's also a, it's a, it's a disclosed word. What do I mean by that? It's an open word. It's an unsealed word. It's an announcement. It's, it's really about Jesus. Look at verse 3 of chapter 10. This angel comes down with the, the scroll, and look what it says. And he gave a loud shout. He gave a loud shout like a roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. Now, seven, what does seven signify in the Bible? It means complete. It means together. It means perfect. It means unified. What's it saying here? It's saying that the message has been opened and there's, all, there's agreement on all of it. There's agreement in heaven. There's agreement on, on earth. There's agreement all through the scriptures. And it all points to one person. It all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. It all witnesses to Jesus. That's the aim of our Bible. Look at this. Uh, we've talked about the word before here at King's Church. And the word uh, really means three things in the Bible. It means the logos. The logos is the written word of God. But understand something. The word of God is actually bearing witness to Jesus. Let me say it this way. The word of God bears witness to the word of God. The capital W, word of God. Let's not get this mistaken. Like, we, we, the, the Bible doesn't end up ruling the world. Jesus ends up ruling the world. The Bible bears witness to Jesus. It's quite possible to actually read the scriptures and miss Jesus. In fact, this is what Jesus is talking about. In, in, in John chapter 5, verse 39, he's, he comes in and he's speaking to the, to, the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And look what he says. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. What's he trying to communicate to us? What he's saying is, is that the Logos, the Bible, it testifies. It is a witness in and of itself. And it testifies to Jesus. We also talk about the word being the rhema word of God. What's the rhema word of God? If you think of the Bible as like a, a big well, for a moment. Like think of a water well. Think of the rhema as like a drop of water for a specific time. It's this idea that God's word is active and it's working and it's working today. It's a now word. And this is what, this is what it says in, uh, this is what Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about. Verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active. It's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and, and, and intentions of, of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. 
There's actually some scholars that believe that the Word of God here is still talking about Jesus. It's not just talking about this. It's, it's actually talking about Jesus, that Jesus is, is working. He's active. He's working right now. It is the rhema word of God. But even the rhema word of God is a witness, and it is a witness to Jesus. It is a witness to Jesus. And then finally, Jesus is the word. This is where we get John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus testifies about Jesus. Uh, Believe it or not, Jesus constantly talks about himself, but he has every right to because he's Jesus and he's testifying about himself. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, the description John uses of Jesus, he says "This this is a message, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. He calls him the faithful witness. He is the witness of the of himself, of, of Jesus. And so when we understand something, when we, talk about, when we talk about savoring the word, when we talk about relishing in the word, make no mistake, yeah, it's sweet, it's heavenly, it's from God, it's eternal, it's dominating though. And then people don't like that. It gets down deep, it starts to mess with us, it starts to work in us, and yeah, it can turn sour. But understand something, the witness, the witness's job, the word of the witness is not the Bible, the word of the witness is Jesus. It all comes together around Jesus. Now, why, is, why do we witness to Jesus? Because it's Jesus that wins the world. It's Jesus in the church that wins the world. And so we talk about being creatures of the word. We really have to be creatures of Jesus. And so we relish the word. We relish the word. We receive the word. We eat it. We're creatures. We eat the word. And then finally, my final point today is this. Creature has to eat. Creature has to savor, and our creature has to roar. <laughs> I love that imagery. A creature has to roar. He has to roar. He has to, he has to prophesy. Look at verse 11. This is such a key passage, and I, I want you to hear this today. And I actually hope this encourages you today. I really do. Verse 11 says this, Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Do you hear that? You must prophesy. This isn't an option, church. We must prophesy. We must release the word. And I'm not talking about people who, ha- you, might, you, who you might think has a special assignment or, or, or articulate. I'm not talking about people who are brashly insensitive, only those people. No, the Bible here is talking about us. He's, he's talking to the church. He's talking to all of us that we must prophesy Again, we must do it again and again and again. Listen, we never retire from being a witness. We are always going to be a witness. And the reason that John actually shares this is not just as a word of instruction or make anybody feel bad. This is actually a word that he wants to stir up courage in all of us. Because I got to be honest with you, probably the hardest thing about being a creature of the word is actually saying the word. It's actually speaking the word. This is probably the hardest thing for me. Uh, it's hard to admit that. I'm, I'm the one preaching to you today. I'm actually preaching a word about the word. But I'll be honest with you. Like, the hardest thing for me to do at times is actually to just speak. It's to roar. It's to actually prophesy and release a word in our time. And I wonder if you're dealing with some issues with that today, too. There's a couple of hang-ups I, I find when it comes to releasing the word 
couple of things that I've heard over my life, and I've actually felt this in my own life. The first one is this. Some of us, maybe we don't ever do this because we don't feel like we're a good witness. Uh, we, we actually think of ourselves as not really as a person who's good at this. And I just want to like, I just want to encourage you today with something, with this. See, listen, a witness does not get his or her authority from rank or power. You get your authority from what you've seen and heard. Let me say it again. It's all about what you have seen and heard. See, a good witness knows it's never about the witness. It's actually about the word. It's not about, it's not about me. It's not about how articulate I am. It's actually about the word. It's interesting. Uh, we look in Revelation chapter 11. I don't have this today. I'm sure we're going to cover this in, in the weeks to come. But uh, as we get a bigger picture of, uh, of, of the witnesses and we get a fuller picture, chapter 11, verse 5, it talks about these witnesses and, and it actually talks about their words and what their words are like. Verse 5, it says, if anyone tries to harm them, speaking about the witnesses, they have protection. Listen to what it talks about, what it says. It says, fire comes from their mouths and devour their enemies. You see, the witnesses' words as it's being re- released is compared to fire. A fire that actually like, like protects and it actually absorbs. Verse 6 goes on to say this, they have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Do you hear the power in, 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 that is coming from from the witness. And for those of you here today, they're saying, I'm not a good witness. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this. Listen, let me say this. People, when they look at you, aren't hungry for you. They're actually hungry for the fire within you. Understand that. So don't, don't worry about if I'm good or not. Just be faithful. This is about being a faithful witness, not a good witness. Be a faithful witness. And then the second hang up that I find too is this one. I, I don't know the word. Like, maybe I haven't been a Christian for very long, or maybe you have, and you're still, you're still wading into the Word of God, and it's vast, and it's great, and it's deep, and it's complex, and it's awesome, and maybe you feel like Paul, like you feel like Paul when he says, who knows the mind of the Lord? I, I don't understand the full depths of the Word of the Lord. And I just want to encourage you today that actually in this picture, there's, there's an encouraging word here, and I actually want to show you this. So you notice what John does? with the scroll. Notice the, the description of the scroll. Verse 10, it says, I took the little scroll. Do you see it? I took the little sc- scroll and I ate the little scroll. What's going on here? You see, some scholars actually believe that um, John didn't go and grab the whole scroll from the angel, but he took a portion of it. He took the little scroll and, 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 he, and, he, and he ate it. He, and and, and this, is, this is the encouraging word I want to give you today. It's, it's this. Take what you do have and share it. Take the little bit that you have and share it. Because guess what? Our inadequacy doesn't inca- incapacitate us. Just because we can't say it all doesn't keep us, us exempt from saying what we can say. You know, as we close this, this morning... Uh, there's a story I remember my youth pastor telling me as a, as a, as a youth back in, uh, way back, a long time ago, in the late 90s, believe it or not, I was in youth group. It's a story of a, of, a, of a young boy who went to a Christian school and 
his name was Johnny. And Johnny had uh, severe learning disabilities. He had um, ADHD, he even had Tourette's. Um, he, he even had a speech impediment. But he went to this Christian school and, and uh, Johnny was quirky. He was a quirky kid and he just kind of had like, he kind of was one of those guys that kind of always had that tick. He just kind of like would rock back and forth and he just kind of have a tick and he just, and he, he was known for like kind of just blurting out whatever in class and, and the school knew him as, as they, they kind of just like laughed at him. He didn't really take Johnny seriously, you know, like just in his condition, in his state. And he would just blurt things out and, 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 and they would laugh at him. Well, it was tradition at this, at this school that every student participated in chapel. And, uh, you know, either, either you played an instrument or, or you, you prayed or you did announcement or whatever you did. Um, and some students actually got to preach. And, uh, and, of course, Johnny was part of this school. And the principal actually came to this, this young man. And at the last chapel of the year, the most important one, the principal asked Johnny to preach. And of course, word got out around this. Like people started to hear, oh, Johnny's going to preach at chapel this week. I wonder what he's going to say. I wonder what he's going to blurt out. And so, and so the, the entire student body came to chapel that day and they were just waiting with bated breath. Like, what is Johnny going to blurt out? What's he going to do? And the music ended and prayer was, prayer was done and it was time for the message. And Johnny was announced and he comes up to the stage and he, he kind of walks up and he walks into frame and he sets his hands down on the stage and he grabs the microphone and he, and he has no, by the way, he has no notes, he has no Bible, he just takes the microphone and he looks out on the crowd and he says, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And story has it that the entire chapel just erupted in laughter. People were laughing at him, just laughing at him. They're like, oh, you know, is this it? And what does Johnny do? He closes his eyes and he grabs the microphone and he says, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And he said it over and over and over again. And people there that day said that laughter soon stopped. And the place got quiet. Old Johnny was there. I love Jesus. And Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. And Jesus loves me. And the presence of Jesus came down in that chapel as this young man was witnessing to the Lord. He was, he was giving what he, what he had from the Lord. And, the, and, and people of the chapel that day said all of a sudden the laughter turned into just this this somber time, this, this time even of tears, and the whole chapel just began to worship Jesus. Listen, I want to encourage you today. If all you've got is, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me, then release it. Prophesy that over your home. Prophesy that over your town. Prophesy that over your city and your region. Take the little scroll, eat what you got, but then release it. Give a word. And not just, I'm not just speaking to pastors. I'm not preaching to myself. I'm preaching to all of us. There is a window of time right now in our society with this pandemic and everything going on. And I believe it. There's an evangelistic opportunity right now for us to open our mouths. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today as the church to be able to be creatures of the word, eat the word, savor the word, but then roar 
Let people know. Let people hear it. I want to. I want to close with, with, with uh, some questions today. I've actually framed this in a different way today for us as a church. I've been feeling this in my own heart this week as I've been preparing this. Just uh, there's some questions here, and I've made these personal. But uh, each question, there's a there's a little prayer attached to it. And I actually want to take a moment and just if maybe one of these questions just resonate with your own heart and your own soul. Um, Here's a, here's, a, here's a prayer that I want to just kind of pray together if we can do this. And here's my first one. Do I have a ferocious appetite for the Word? I really, am I really ready to eat the Word, like dig in and digest? And maybe you're there today and you're saying, I want that, but I don't know how to get that. Well, here's a, here's a prayer. If you want to pray this with me right now, you're more than welcome to. Father, give me a hunger for your Word unlike anything I've known before. Teach me how your words are more precious than gold that I might find my greatest delight in them. And maybe, maybe the second question really resonates with you today. Am I faithfully abiding in the word? Am I staying in it? Am I savoring it? And you're like, man, I, I kind of been compartmentalizing my life. I don't really abide with Jesus like I should. Well, well, here's a prayer and we can pray this together if you want. Father, thank you that you tend my life with such care and concern. Help me to trust all of your word. And as it settles into me, even when it's uncomfortable, I know that it will be for my good and for your glory. I hope that ministers to you today. And then the final one, this is where I'm at, church. I'll just be honest with you, vulnerable with you today. Can I have a fearless ability to speak the word? Man, I just want that fearless boldness in our day to be able to release the word that God has placed in my heart that's you today, if you're here and maybe you just want to pray this prayer with me, join me in praying this prayer. Father, grant me the courage of a lion to speak boldly the word of God, to become fearless of man and of my own inadequacy, trusting that the Holy Spirit will guide and direct my actions and words concerning your son, Jesus, the King. Amen and amen. Hey church, God bless you today. I hope go and be a be a creature of the word this week.